You know, who knows if you had that stalactite, maybe you'd enjoy it. <laughs> okay, you gotta cut that out. That's, <laughs> that's just wrong. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by Dan Calzaretta. Howdy, Dan. Hey, Dana, we're back at it. Yeah, after a fairly successful show last week, probably our biggest response that we've had to any show we've done so far, what are little girls made of might have put us on the map. Well, I'm not sure what map that is. What were some of the comments, Dana? Well, on Facebook, I had posted a picture of Rayburn and Matthews. I didn't say why they were special, but people guessed. A lot of people knew that they were the first two red shirts to die on the series. I was kind of surprised more people did not comment on the stalactite. How could they not have, Dana? I was talking about the podcast with a friend of mine and I showed him the picture and I said, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you see this photograph? And he looked at it and he was just shaking his head and then he looked around to see if anyone saw him looking at the picture. <laughs> but it is so clearly obvious to me. I don't know how that got by the censors. Yeah, I showed that to a couple people and they said, that's not a stalactite. Hopefully you didn't show it at work because I'm assuming that could be an HR violation. <laughs> yeah. And being that I'm HR, that could be a tricky situation. <laughs> You'd have to <laughs> discipline yourself. Let's get into this week's show. Yeah, let's do it. So today we're going to talk about Miri. The shortest title, I believe, in the uh, Star Trek canon. Yeah, it is. Just one word and only four letters and two repeat. So only three <laughs> different letters. I hadn't even looked at it that way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of studying, Dana, when I, <laughs> when I prepare for these shows. Show starts. The Enterprise is following a distress signal in the distant reaches of the galaxy. Planet they find is an exact duplicate of Earth. Already I'm going to interrupt you, Dana. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> well, a couple of things. So they hear this old-fashioned distress signal, and Kirk says it's an SOS, and I was listening very carefully to it. It is some Morse code. You're a ham radio operator, so you know Morse code. I do, and it was just gibberish. The Morse code they were sending didn't mean anything. Shows were not allowed to use the real SOS signal on the air because things were being broadcast over the air, but they couldn't <laughs> actually use SOS. So they just had to say that it was an SOS signal. That's fascinating. I did not know that. Yep. The second thing is a duplicate of Earth. Come on now. That That's just, <laughs> just as I thought. An exact duplicate of Earth. I mean, an exact, see, which, yeah. Florida, you can see the Great Lakes. You know, I had the same response. But anyway, those were the things that I had to interrupt you at the very start. Sorry. Go ahead. No worries. So Kirk, Spock, McCoy, uh, Yeoman Rand, and two security guards beam down to the planet. Place is absolutely deserted. Spock mentions the buildings have been in decay for centuries. They walk through the deserted streets and they don't see anything. They stop and there's like a pile of debris in the middle of the street and there's a broken tricycle there. Spock kind of picks it up and just hands it off to Bones like, I don't know what the hell this is. I love that <laughs> scene though. He just, you're right, he picks it up, he looks at it, he kind of gives a little shrug and he just gives it to McCoy like, here you go, bud. You figure <laughs> out what together. to do with it. Most everybody moves on except for 
where McCoy is sitting there kind of studying this. As he's getting ready to set it down, this creature comes running out of one of the buildings going, that's mine, it's mine, it's mine, and tackles McCoy. You can see right away that this creature has, has looks like a human, raggedy gray hair and blue and gray discolored features on its face. Kirk and Spock run back and Kirk just beats the crap out of this <laughs> guy. He is pulling him up and just pounding him. He hits him like three times. And I think it's the third or fourth time that he finally knocks this guy down. Why didn't Spock just use the nerve pinch or why didn't they just stun him with the phaser? I mean, yeah, Kirk, like you said, he just wails on this guy. This guy is laying on the ground. He's crying like a child. It's broke. Somebody broke it. Somebody, please fix it. Of course, somebody will fix it. While they're talking to him, trying to settle this guy down, he dies. McCoy just says, It's dead. It's incredible. It's metabolic rate. It's impossibly high as if it's burning itself up, almost as if it aged a century in just the past few minutes. And then they hear a noise and they all get up and run towards the noise. They enter a building and hear a noise in the closet. Kirk opens the door and there's a teenage girl in the closet. Right away, the girl is kind of defensive, says, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. And she seems genuinely scared. Kirk coaxes her out of the closet and he sends Spock and two security guards to check out the surroundings while they talk to the girl. And then we see somebody watching Spock and the two security guards out in the street. So we know something's up. Back in the building with Kirk, uh, Rand, and McCoy, the girl starts going on about grups. She says they're the ones that hurt them. She says the grups got sick and the onlys are the children. Kirk's trying to get more information out of her. At least he didn't punch her three times to try to get her to talk. (laughs) You know, he does have a soft side. So she says her name is Miri. Kirk smiles at her and calls her a pretty young woman. She smiles in return. I think that's what he was hoping to get out of her was, you know, uh, calm her down and make her feel comfortable. Yeah, to make some kind of connection, human connection. Outside, Spock and the two security guards try to follow all these different noises they're hearing. Then when they're kind of in this little alleyway and they get bombarded with rocks from the building above, we go back to the building where Kirk and the crew are. Spock enters and says, children. Lots of them. He said they scurry away like animals. Kirk and uh, McCoy and Rand are asking Miri questions about what had happened to the grups. Gets Rand that figures out that grups means grown-ups. Right, that's exactly right. She's the one who gets that, yeah. They talk about how they died off. They got angry and that they became very mean towards the onlys, which are the children, we learn. At that point, McCoy suggests that maybe what killed off the the grown-ups was some type of plague. Kirk says, Miri, can you take us where the doctors worked? thinking that, you know, they can get to the doctor's office and find some records. At this point, Mary asks Kirk what his name is, and he gives her this Kirk smile and says, Jim. She says she likes his name, and he says, I like your name. And then he adds that, I like you. I took this as he was really trying to win her over. Looking at it with our lens, maybe it just seemed a little creepy, but that wasn't his intent, obviously. He does reach out and touch her face, and as he does, he looks... Wait, wait a second. I forgot about that. It's really (laughs) creepy now that I think about it. Yeah, (laughs) I was trying to figure out how to get around this, but... uh... He sees that he has one of these, like, uh, this bluish mark on his hand. She says, it's happening to you. Pretty soon you'll get sick. It will spread all over you, and you'll yell, and you'll try to hurt everybody, and then you'll die. 
This part was really foreboding, I think, you know, that she talks about how the adults died. They went crazy and got very violent and ended up either killing each other or dying from this disease that we don't really know anything about at this point. They make their way over to the doctor's office. They find out that's where the distress signal originated from. At the same time, we learn that the blue spots, which is the start of the plague, have appeared on everyone but Spock. McCoy takes tissue samples from everyone. Kirk asks McCoy why Spock hasn't been infected. Probably the little bugs or whatever they are have no appetite for green blood. Being a red-blooded human obviously has its disadvantages. Well, once again, we see this kind of back and forth between Spock and McCoy, and it's great. I love this banter that they do throughout the entire series. Kirk and uh, Spock find files about life prolongation. McCoy says life prolongation. They didn't have much luck, did they? All the records say this was 300 years ago. Spock suggests that reaching puberty is what sets this disease in motion. McCoy agrees, but says if the adults died 300 years ago, where are these children coming from? And I think that's one of the things they did well with this uh, episode was created a, a mystery, really kept you involved. Yeah, I totally agree, Dana. I think this is the best example in the first season so far, for sure, where the writers have done that. They've given us little clues, little hints, uh, but haven't told us the whole story right away that we have to kind of figure it out with the characters. So back on the ship, Farrell provides Spock with some data. And I, I have to say, this is a little bit troublesome to me because Farrell's the only person we see on the ship. You know, he's sitting in Uhura's chair. We don't hear from Scotty. There's no Sulu. You know, there's looks like they all left the ship and Farrell's the only one running it. Yeah, he's the only one home. And, and in fact, in this episode, we only see that view of the bridge, right? We don't see anywhere exactly. else on the ship. And we only see Farrell sitting at Uhura's desk. I, I don't know where she was in this episode. Maybe she she was on vacation. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she stopped at uh, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. And, uh, maybe she did. <laughs> she and Scotty and uh, Sulu are all down there having a good old time while yeah. these guys are all getting infected with, I don't know, monkey pox or something that was happening to them. <laughs> Farrell provides Spock with some data. Spock punches a bunch of buttons on this big blue box as Farrell reads off the data. Uh, Spock tells Kirk and the crew that the life prolongation plan affected the inhabitants so they aged one month for every 100 years of time. Some miscalculation led to the virus and it killed off the adults. Spock says the children could be immensely old. McCoy says that reaching puberty is a death sentence. Kirk wants to try to get closer to the other children and find out where they are and what's going on with them. He asked Miri if she'd like to go someplace with him. I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> she says, sure. And Kirk holds out his hand. She takes his hand and they walk out the door together. Yeoman Rand watches them go. And at first I thought she was going to be a little jealous. And then she says, so that girl and Spock replies is at least... 300 years older than you are. Kirk and Miri walk down the street. We see the other children for the first time. They are kind of dirty and unruly. One older boy, John, which is spelled J-A-H-N. Yeah, why? Uh, Why'd they spell it that way? Because these science fiction writers are thinking, you know, it's a, they got to make something different than a, on a planet that's an exact duplicate of Earth. Well, wouldn't the names be exactly the same too? <laughs> I just don't understand. One older boy, John, talks about how they use their little boxes, and he means the communicators, to talk with other grups. If they didn't have their little boxes, they'd all be all alone. Then
then they see that Kirk and Miri are coming towards, so they all run and hide. Kirk and Miri enter the building, and they don't see anyone. Kirk is looking carefully around when a girl comes out with her skin discolored and her hair wild, and she's screaming. All the children all of a sudden come run out of the woodwork like so many termites or cockroaches. So they're screaming, and they all go running past, and this girl comes and jumps on Kirk. So they're, they're uh, running because they see her come out, and they see that she's transitioned from a kid into this hideous creature. And she's like a wild child. Got her fingernails bare, jumps on Kirk's back. Well, he's swinging around. He's swinging wildly in the room. And I was watching that pretty carefully that this is William Shatner. It's not a stunt actor. Oh, yeah. And he is like trying to fling her all over the room to get her off his back. I was kind of surprised. Today, I don't think you could get away with that with uh, child labor laws and everything. And Yeah, see, those labor laws have really hurt the entertainment industry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's the animal rights laws that have really ruined the, the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, wait, I'm kidding about the, kidding about that too. <laughs> Our next uh, email we get will be from PETA. Yeah. <laughs> so he like kind of dumps her on the ground and he pulls out his phaser and she gets up and he shoots her with the phaser and she drops back down. Well, he goes over to her and realizes that she's dead. Without even though taking a pulse, he just looks at her and he says that she's dead. He's seen lots of dead people apparently. So well, yeah. And you know, this reminds me though of earlier in the episode where he punched the other creature that died and he, there's no remorse there. And he kills this one, no remorse at all. Well, he did say the phaser was set on stun. It wasn't set to kill. That was an excuse. It wasn't remorse, Dana. <laughs> He's the captain of a ship. He can't be wrong. And he can't be worrying about the occasional killing of creatures that he doesn't understand. Yeah, you can't <laughs> worry about that kind of thing. the crap out of them, yeah. Can't worry about those minor things. So Mary says her name was Elise, and she was just a little bit older than I am. She turns and hugs Kurt. She's obviously upset, but she's like crying on his shoulder. <laughs> I feel like I got to say those things so we're not, you know, painting a different picture here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it really was not meant to be creepy. Again, it's through our eyes of 2022. We look at it as yeah. maybe being a little creepy, but it, was, it wasn't. It was heartfelt. So it's kind of funny throughout the show, Kirk is constantly giving Miri little tasks to do. At one point, he gives her a rag and says, oh, would you mind cleaning that table over there? And she's like, yeah, sure, Jim. Little things so he can have time talking to the adults. And, and in fact, he gives her at one point pencils to sharpen. I was like, what is this? Is this a school classroom? What is this? <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's what happens when they go back where the crew is. She's got like a handful of pencils. She's like, do you need more? And he goes, oh, just do a few more. Yeah, thank you. When you were in school, were you ever given tasks by the teachers, you know, probably to stop you from doing whatever you're doing, to do anything like that? Yeah, like hold a piece of paper against the chalkboard with my nose, like that? Was it? Okay. <laughs> no, wait. Did you oh. really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a teacher in third grade that was just not a kind person. That was one of the things she had me do one time because I was apparently bad. I'm sure her definition of bad and mine were two different things at the time. <laughs> Once again, it's the teachers ruining the entertainment industry. No, wait, it's not the teachers. <laughs> I am a teacher. I used to have to um, clean the chalkboard erasers, chalkboards that don't exist anymore. And then the chalk dust, which I'm sure is toxic. I'm, you know, yeah. I probably have mesothelioma. I need to call one of those 800 numbers some night and say the teachers made me clean the chalkboards. Oh yeah, you got a case. Yeah, no problem. You get, definitely have a yeah. case. It was Sister Angelica that made me go clean the erasers. Rest her soul. Yeah, so we're getting PETA, the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look at all the responses. Look at all the emails we finally got. <laughs> and lawsuits. Oh, sorry. Okay, go, mo- moving on. As, as Mary is sharpening pencils, Spock says he has confirmed how much time they have left and the computer will verify his data. McCoy says it's only a matter of time before they all go mad and turn on one another. So we're getting kind of a bleak picture painted here. Kirk lifts his hand and we see that the virus has spread more on his skin. I have to say I like the uh, makeup that they did here. It wasn't too over the top. Lots of times when they do viruses and things like this in TV shows and movies, it's usually something like black. Looks kind of nasty. This looked, I mean, it didn't look good. Right. But it was just different. It had kind of a bluish purple color to it and like a, a bruise that had grown up but it looked like it could be an alien virus. Kirk asks, what about Mary? Spock says, Mary has probably about five to six weeks. McCoy says, well, what about us? Spock says, the older the victim, the faster the disease spreads. So, so who was the oldest in that group, do you think? McCoy. Oh, McCoy, yeah, I think you're right. It would have been definitely yeah. McCoy. Kirk asks about Spock. Spock replies that he is a carrier and he cannot go back to the ship. Then he adds, and I do want to go back to the ship. I like that line too. Uh, Some really good writing in this episode. I thought so too. I thought that they did a good job with the rapport between everybody. The writers obviously knew the relationship between Kirk and Spock and McCoy. McCoy describes the symptoms as great pain in the extremities, fever, fuzziness of vision, and then Farrell calls down and says they have 170 hours. Spock says we have seven days. That sounds like just a good week in Las Vegas to me. (laughs) Yeah, you can get a virus in Las Vegas in seven days, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to get sued by the Las Vegas Tourism Commission. <laughs> Add them to the list of people who hate us after this episode. <laughs> McCoy says he found something uh, going through the documents that they found in the doctor's office. Unfortunately, the information he has is incomplete. Kirk asks Rand to take Mary for a walk. The crew that's left behind starts hearing the na-na-na-na-na. Sounds like it's coming out from the hallway, so they go running out in the hall. When they're out in the hall, the the big kid, John, comes through a vent. He goes and grabs up, picks up all their communicators and jumps back in the vent. They hear a noise back in the lab. Kirk and Spock and McCoy go running back in and they can't find all their communicators. Without the communicators, they cannot communicate with the ship and use the ship's computers. So a few days pass. The crew is getting short-tempered and the food supply is now running low. McCoy blows up at Kirk when Kirk asks how things are going. Then Kirk walks past Rand and bumps into her. She drops something and looks at him with just great anger. She had a big beaker full of some type of blue liquid. Probably making martinis for the afternoon. You would need that. I mean, let's face it, you're on this planet with kids annoying the living. Oh my God, yeah, you you need, yeah. Mommy needs some a, a little helper, afternoon helper. So everybody's getting on their nerves. She's glaring at him and she just starts saying no, no, and then she runs out of the room and Kirk follows her and, and Miri sees this. So Miri sneaks out so she can catch what's going on. Kirk catches up with Rand and she shows him that she has more of the spots on her shoulder. She says Back on this ship, I used to try to get you to look at my legs 
And he looks down and she's got a blue spot on her hand and there's a big one on her leg. So you get the sense that there's that whole relationship between the captain and his yeoman. And implied uh, several times throughout this first season. Exactly. And it won't happen anymore because this, as it turns out, is Janice Rand's last episode ever. Until the movies. That's right. So she uh, says to Kirk, uh, what was it again? I used to try to get you to look at my legs. Yeah. And he says to her, I used to try to get you to look at my stalactite. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk hugs her. Uh, it's a very gentle hug. And Miri watches. You could see that she's disappointed that Kirk is hugging Rand. So the next thing we see is Miri with the kids. And she's talking about how they can get Rand away from the others. And if we get her away, that yeoman, the captain, he'll try to find her, but he won't. Mr. Lovey-Dovey. Lovey-Dovey. Bonk, bonk on the head. Bonk, bonk. Bonk, bonk. Bonk, bonk. This all comes about because Miri's jealous. She comes up with a plan, like, immediately to kill Rand, capture her, and then bonk, bonk her on the head. I mean, I don't know. That seemed a little far-fetched. Back in the doctor's office, uh, Miri's back with the group, and Spock and McCoy are talking that they nearly have the antidote, but they just need to know how much the dose is supposed to be. Kirk goes over and talks to Miri and asks where Yeoman Rand is. She says she doesn't know, and Kirk is showing more signs of the disease. His temper is short, and uh, he's got more spots on him. Spock says, without the ship's computers, the vaccine could be a beaker full of death. Yeah, another uh, great line. Kirk tells Miri that all the kids are going to get it. Kirk tries to explain that she is growing up and that she will get this disease. He shows her her arm and says, it's in you, and she's got a spot on her inside of her arm. We cut back to uh, the kids are in the schoolroom. They have Rand tied to a chair. Miri opens the door and then reveals Kirk. And Kirk says, if you don't help us, if we don't get the communicators, there won't be anything. There'll be no grups, no onlys. It will all be over. And the kids start descending on him and just being mean to him. Then one girl walks up and spits in his face. Oh, God, I love that. <laughs> I love that scene. And I, I, I had to watch it twice because I, what? Did she just spit in his face? It was great. I wonder <laughs> if she really did in real life. Did she really hock a loogie on Captain Kirk? Kirk is yelling at them. He's telling them they've seen it with all the other kids and they've all gotten the disease and the kids keep coming forward threatening and then the kid starts beating Kirk down. He's kind of pinned up against the desk. One kid that had the hammer before that started the bonk bonk thing has a wrench. And this kid's like got a toolbox stored someplace. And he's, <laughs> he's kind of getting beaten down and then the next thing we see is Kirk just kind of like pushing out of the crowd and going towards John who's the oldest one. Look at the blood on my face. Now look at your hands. Blood on your hands. Now who's doing the hurting? Not the grups. It's you hurting, yelling, maybe killing just like the grups you remember and the creatures you're afraid of. And you're gonna be just like them unless you let me help you. I'm a grup and I want to help you. Back at the lab, Spock and McCoy are debating about the drug. McCoy says we're running out of time and Spock says the vaccine could be fatal. McCoy says the disease is fatal. Spock says bickering is pointless and he says I'm, I'm gonna go and check on Captain Kirk. McCoy eyes the vaccine and then he injects himself. He all of a sudden starts reeling in pain. He collapses and yells for Spock. Spock rushes in with one of the security guards and sees McCoy on the floor. The security guard 
asks if McCoy is dead, and Spock says, not yet. The way Spock was kneeling over him, he was like holding his hands, being very almost human-like with McCoy. It was clear that he was very concerned whether McCoy was going to live or not. Next thing we see is Kirk coming down the hall, carrying a little girl in his arms, and all the kids are following. He has a communicator, and he's talking to the ship. He says they have three hours left, and as he comes through the door, he sees McCoy on the floor, and he stops. Kirk sets the girl down, and he comes alongside Spock. Kirk says, look at his face, and we do this close-up, and slowly, the spots start disappearing. Indicating that the vaccine worked. Exactly. And Spock says, the blemishes are fading. So it's kind of like, was it that oxy stuff we used to use as kids for pimples? Oh, oxycotton. Cleared him up. Oxy- <laughs> yeah, that took care of your pimples. <laughs> oxyclean was that the name of it oxyclean yeah. yeah these conversations are good i remember so much from my youth <laughs> it's just the present we have problems with dana <laughs> kirk walks back through the kids and pats one girl on the head john asks mary is this supposed to be a good thing mary of course it is Kirk won the kids over. They uh, found the antidote for this virus. Things are looking better. It looks like the kids are going to accept what the Enterprise is offering to them, what Kirk and McCoy and Spock are offering them. Back on the ship, Kirk is in the command chair and McCoy is standing behind and Rand is next to him. Just children. Simply to leave them there with a medical Just children. 300 years old and more. I've already contacted Space Central. They'll send teachers, advisors. And truant officers, I presume. They'll be all right. Rand says, you know, Miri, she really loved you. Kirk says yes, and he looks thoughtful for a moment, then says, I never get involved with older women, Yoma. To which Rand gives McCoy a look, and they both walk away. Then Kirk calls the Spock, Warp Factor 1. We watch the ship sail away to its next adventure. So, that's Miri. <laughs> This was filmed on the same lot that used to be Maybeer for the Andy Griffith show. I thought I saw in the background uh, Otis, the drunk, walking around. <laughs> I was looking for Floyd's Barbershop. But... <laughs> that would have been cool. That really would have been cool to see that. I think this is the strongest episode so far in the first season. I thought the writing was tight. I thought the story was really well done. The kids were really good actors, especially Kim Darby, who plays Mary. What other things was Kim Darby in, Dana? Kim Darby might be best known for uh, playing Maddie Ross in uh, the John Wayne version of True Grit. Great movie, really. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. The guy who played John. Michael Pollard. Yeah, he was also in quite a few films and television shows. In fact, he was in the movie Bonnie and Clyde and got nominated for a Best Supporting Actor role in that film along with Gene Hackman. I mean, if you put yourself in the same category as Gene Hackman, that's not a bad deal. In this episode, when they filmed this episode, he was 26 years old. He does not look that old. One of the best things for me in this episode was the reference to grown-ups being grups, uh, the kids being onlys, and when they talk about the before time, I just found those things very intriguing. So the writers created words that you could see these kids using. You know, instead of saying grown-ups, it's been 300 years, you could see how that language would change. How about for you? I like the idea that the disease starts with puberty. Your body goes through such a drastic change at that point, and it kind of made sense to me. And then the kids... 
you had mentioned before, you thought the kids were good actors and seemed completely into the roles. I thought they did a great job. And, and talking about the kids in the show, it was interesting because a lot of the crew members, kids, were in this episode. For example, two of Grace Lee Whitney's kids, two of William Shatner's, two of Gene Roddenberry's kids are in the episode as well. Grace Lee Whitney tried to get Nimoy to bring his kids on set. And he's like, I, I don't want my kids involved in show business. I, maybe it was more like, I don't want my kids hanging out with your kids. That could have could have been it. I don't know. <laughs> How about a worst part for you? Kirk gets hit with a wrench and all these clubs and stuff. And again, it's kids hitting him. But he comes out like, you know, they was just they must my hair. Yeah, I mean, it, no matter who hits you with a wrench, you're going down. Another thing was they just left their communicators all laying around. Why would they just leave them all laying around on the tables? Also, one of the worst parts for me is that Grace Lee Whitney doesn't show up in any more episodes. A few episodes ago in our podcast, we talked about the reason for that, what had happened to her. I think it's too bad. She was a pretty strong character, could have been much stronger. I think um, it was great that they brought her back in the films. And finally, what the hell is Space Central? Is that like the foster agency of the, of the, of the planets? I mean, who came up with Space Central? We never hear about this organization again. I think it was a way for Kirk to explain, well, how are the kids going to get taken care of? Why didn't he just say the Federation? And they're sending teachers and advisors. Teachers and advisors, what are they going to advise them? Why don't they get them the hell off that planet? Yeah, see. Wasn't that many kids. They could have <laughs> They could have easily taken them all on the ship. And here's another thing. So they showed the Earth. This is one town. This one town came up with this idea about longevity. Did the whole world accept this? And this had happened all over the world. What are the kids doing in France? Is this the only place that this happened? Yeah, that's a great point. So I don't think they explain. Was this a group of settlers that came to this planet? Well, it was an exact duplicate of Earth. So you think that what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say, Dana, is that you think that not only was the Earth an exact duplicate, but that the civilizations that evolved on this planet were the exact. They weren't some explorers that came from Earth or somewhere else and landed on this planet and started to like colonize it. No idea. Yeah, I thought that was weak for sure. Let's call Space Central. Maybe they can answer this question for us. (laughs) Yeah, let me. uh, Well, someone took my communicator, Dana. I don't know where it is. So (laughs) I think I'm out of luck. I can't give him a phone call right now. Well, let's talk about some things that were going on in the 60s at the time that the show came out. So it was broadcast on October 27th, 1966. What was happening in the world? China performed a nuclear test and the USSR performed a nuclear test. Interesting that there was so many nuclear tests still going on. Yeah, those didn't get banned for a while, that's for sure. The number one song was by Question Mark and the Mysterians. It was 96 Tears. Oh, yeah. I really liked that song when I was growing up. Okay, let's talk about our dead crewman count. Actually, we got two counts to talk about today. Dead crewman count. How many died in this episode, Dana? None that we saw. No one from the crew died. We had two kids turning into adults on the planet that died, but they don't count. So this week, dead crewman count is zero. Italia's, we're still at 19. We're kind of stuck at 19. I was really hoping that when those two red shirts beamed down to the planet, I was like, yeah, we're going to get a couple more, but it was not to be. And then the other count, the shirtless Kirk rip shirt count this week, what do you think? I had questions about this, but he rips his sleeves and shows his bare arms. Do we count that as a Kirk ripped shirt? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this week we've got one. We are now up to six in eight episodes. Next week, we've got another really good episode. I'm really looking forward to this one. 
Dagger of the Mind. And uh, this was fun again this week. It's, uh, it's a labor of love, Dan. <laughs> That's one way to put it. All right, Dana, see you next week. All right, thanks again, Dan. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-M-N-I-T podcast at gmail.com. Or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Next week, it's Dagger of the Mind. For Dan and Dana, live long and prosper. Prosper.